<laughs> so good to see you this uh, second day of the new year, the start of uh, 22. Can you believe it? And it's going to be a better year. We all pray. So how would you like a fresh start for the new year? So what would a fresh start look like? Uh, financially, what if all your bills got paid off, your car payment, your mortgage, um, student loans, medical bills, and you had a healthy balance in your bank? Wow. Would that be a fresh start? There's only one problem with that, right? And that's the person sitting in your seat. <laughs> because it would still be me uh, trying to uh, uh, forge a new way with uh, a new financial reality. In fact, uh, New York Times says that uh, having financial, circumstantial uh, do-overs, fresh starts, is not so advantageous. Did you know 70% of people who win the lottery are broke after seven years? Uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's almost laughable. You can, you can, you can go online. Uh, this one guy named uh, Ken Proxmire won a million Michigan State Lottery, and uh, he began to live it up, live the high life, uh, expanded uh, his holdings too quickly, uh, and, and his life collapsed. He went into bankruptcy. He said, look, if you win the lottery, here's my advice to you. Quote, crawl into a hole and pull the top in. Not a pleasant experience. Also, uh, Michael Carroll, 19, he won $14.4 million, and uh, he moved into a mansion, got jewelry and all this stuff, got addicted, and uh, was in prison and lost it all. That's because the financial circumstances didn't reach deep enough within. One more, only one more. William Bud Post, name like that. You've got to trust the guy, William Bud Post. He won $16.2 million in Pennsylvania, and his quote is, I wish it had never happened. He sank into debt, spent time in jail for firing a gun over the head of a bill collector. <laughs> his, his brother put out a contract on him, hoping to inherit part of the winnings. This was not pleasant. So having your exterior circumstances uh, change ideally doesn't guarantee that uh, you got a fresh start because that's got to start inside, right? There's got to be some change inside or it could be that we'll be right back into the same problems before long. I want to tell you about a fresh start that is real and documented uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, met, I did a message on the uh, impact of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire in the first 300 years and, uh, and, and then continuing. It all, it all happened with a fresh start for this individual and that individual and then that village, that family, and it spread. That fresh start took and lasted and goes on until today. Paul was one of the... Uh, early believers in Jesus, although he persecuted the church at first. He became a spokesman. And so he would travel around to these uh, cities, and he would take the gospel about Jesus Christ. He would tell, now these were pagan people. They didn't have any background of you know, church or Christianity. He would tell them about Jesus Christ, Son of God, who uh, taught and, and who uh, was crucified, suffered and died on the cross, dying because he's Son of God, dying for the sins of all people who would receive him, and then 
rose from the grave. And, and so as he traveled, there were many people who became followers of Jesus, Christians, had a fresh start. And he began to write some documents, some letters to these people uh, so that they could understand what it meant because they had no background. They didn't know what to do with this. And so he wanted them to understand what it meant that they had become a believer in Jesus Christ, that they had become Christians. And so he wrote to the, uh, the church, the people who had become Christians in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a cosmopolitan city in Greece. Uh, and these people, uh, four or five years before, had been pagans. I mean, they went to pagan temples where they had you know, parties and feasts and stuff for their worship. And then then now they became Christians. And so he wanted to write to them and have them understand what it meant to be a Christian. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he wanted them to know exactly these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creature, is a new human being. The old has passed away. This is not just some kind of a rehab thing. Uh, this is not, the way Paul puts it here, there is a significant transformation that happens on the inside when a person believes in Christ, so much so that he says they're now spiritually located in Christ. Now think about that for a moment. That's a mysterious concept. Uh, someday we'll understand that better. Obviously it doesn't mean physically because we're sitting here in this auditorium and you're in a chair. But spiritually, somehow, based on what the word says, you are spiritually located in one of the safest, most secure, and resourced locations in the universe. That's where you are, in Christ. I want you to take a moment, and I want you to visually see yourself in Christ. Safe, secure, storms are about, could be things going on, but where you are, it's comfortable, cared for, you're loved, in Christ. Now, we just read by that, don't we? I mean, if, if you read that verse this morning, but I, I, I was arrested by this in Christ, a new creation. Um, the imagery is not, sometimes we think, well, God's looking out for me. God's looking over me. Uh, Jesus is walking beside me. But this is in Christ. In Christ. And being in Christ is not just that uh, one-time mention here. I'm going to give you several verses that I want. Don't tune out because I read it. Because I'm going to read these verses. I'm not going to comment on them a lot. The impact is the Word of God, not my ideas about it. And so I want to read these to you. Let these soak into you. In fact, let these verses be food for your soul. And I can tell you that if you will uh, chew on these and, and ingest and digest these words into your soul. They will feed your soul. You will be stronger when you walk out of here than when you walked in, in the ways I'm going to describe for you. 
Now let's look at these. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The indication here is those outside Christ, not in Christ, there is condemnation. I don't want to live that way. Ephesians 1.13, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believe, you were marked in him, in Jesus, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. There were powerful spiritual things happening when you believed in Christ. In Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. If he were writing that today, he would say to all of God's people at the orchard in Christ Jesus. It, it would just be something uh, he would say as a, as a norm because we as believers, as Christians, are located spiritually in Christ, safe and secure. That's the picture. Jesus said in John 17, 20, last night before he uh, was to be crucified, he said to them, my prayer is not for just these disciples. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That they'll all be one. Father, just as you are me and I in you, may they also be in us. Do you remember Daniel did that message with the Tupperware things several months ago? And in Christ, Christ in me, and Christ in God, and, and it was all, you know, demonstrated. Spiritually, there is such a transformation and a, well, it's a, it's a, it's a trip to, to be situated in Christ. Now, how do you get in Christ? That's the question. If we can be in Christ, I want to do it. So how do I get there? Jesus answers that for us. In John chapter 3, he was talking to Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, probably the leading religious leader of his day. When he talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Born again. You see, this is way more than... Uh, if I want to be in Christ, I need to be born again. It doesn't say you need to go to church as a kid. Be in the nursery at the Baptist church when you're a kid. Go to camp. Read your Bible. Uh, pray. Uh, well, I've always believed in God. I've always believed. You know, all those things are, are fine in their way, but none of those will get us in Christ. It takes being born again. Now, Nicodemus was... Uh, puzzled by this because his mind was seeing himself as an adult back in his mother's womb. That would be very uncomfortable for both of them. And he couldn't understand exactly what that meant. So Jesus went on to explain in John 3, verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh. That's your mom. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
In John 3.16, he follows up and says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. In other words, would be born again. So there's a transaction here that results in a new birth. Now that's a fresh start, a new birth. Peter, who was one of his followers, um, 20, 25 years later, wrote a letter to believers, again, helping them understand what they had gotten into as Christians. And he wanted them to understand in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, he says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of dense theology right there. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, Peter could be teaching graduate courses by this time. He'd been a Christian that long, a follower of, of, of Jesus. But he goes right back to the fundamentals, right back. And he's like he's still overwhelmed about the new birth that he experienced and that he has seen other Christians experience. 1 Peter 1, 23. You've not been born again of perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And so... If you need to be born again to be in Christ for all of those benefits, how do you get to be born again? The gospel is, encapsul is an encapsulation of these historical events that Jesus Christ, Son of God, was born a babe. He lived and walked among us in Judea until at age 33, he was crucified on the cross, dying, paying the penalty for our sin that we might be forgiven. And then he rose from the grave, resurrected. Now, you've heard that probably all your life. That's not startling to you. But can you imagine when, when Paul walked into Corinth and said, let me tell you about Jesus Christ, son of God, who was born in Bethlehem and who lived the life and taught us. And then he died on a cross and they thought, well, you know, that's a good ending to that story. Like, yeah. And then he said, and he was resurrected. He was, he was resurrected. And hundreds of people across the empire began to believe in that very thing. And when they believed, they put their faith in Jesus. Uh, believe in him would not perish. The word belief there is not, uh, well, I believe I'm going to somewhere tomorrow. It is a word that indicates the resting of our whole weight on something. Uh, for example, your, your whole weight is resting in the chair where you are sitting. I don't see anybody on the edge, you know, not really sure that the chair is going to hold them. You have entrusted your weight to that chair. And that's what it, you entrust your life now and forever into Jesus the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, you can't put all of your weight for your salvation in Jesus and still think there's other ways for people to get to God. It wouldn't make sense at all. God didn't spare his son. So when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you're no longer authorized to say that there's lots of ways to heaven because you put your weight there. You know, one of the best illustrations I heard uh, when I was a kid, a Baptist church in Clovis, New Mexico. Uh, <clears throat> the story was about 
a man who put a, a guy wire across Niagara Falls. And he would walk across, you know, with a pole thing. This is back, who knows when. Before I was born, so that's a long time ago. I don't forget when this happened. And so he, after he walked across, he got a wheelbarrow. And he put the wheelbarrow and walked all the way across that wire, across Niagara Falls, and then back. And everybody's, yay! You know, they all paid to see it. And he said, do you think that I could put a person in that wheelbarrow and, and walk them across this wire to the other side? And they're all, yay, you can do it. He said, who's first? <laughs> because that's what it means to put your faith in Jesus. You can believe about you can think he was wonderful, he was a great teacher, yada, yada. But when you put your faith in him, you are resting the weight of your life, this life and the next on him. And that's how you're born again. Now, Jesus wanted us to know that he would not only allow us to be in him, but there's another factor here that I want to share with you. Uh, the born-again part. Are you comfortable with that? If you, if you put your faith in Jesus, are you born again? Let me just ask you to say under your breath, I'm born again. I'm born again. Can you say it? I'm in Christ. I'm born again. I'm in Christ. You see, even saying that's kind of awkward, isn't it? Just a little bit. Because we've all known born-again Christians who are so weird. <laughs> I've had people ask me, can I be a Christian without being born again? And, and it's kind of like going to the car dealership and saying, I want to buy a new car. No, nah, I, don't, I don't need a motor, just the car. And so you have it delivered to your driveway. And you get your coffee you go out there, you're sitting in your driveway, your neighbor's going by, and you're like, hey, how you doing? Like my new car? It's wonderful, isn't it? It's clean, new. And they'd be impressed until you pushed it to the grocery store. <laughs> you see, being a Christian without being born again is like not having the empowerment to live the life that Jesus died that we could have. Now, when I talk to people and they're reluctant about the born-again part, it's usually because in their own mind, there's normal Christians and there's born-again Christians. Normal Christians go to church regularly twice a year. And they, and they live the kind of life that doesn't distinguish them from anybody else. So nobody could really tell that they were Christians. That's what they think. And then there's the born-again Christians. The obnoxious Christians who are so pushy and judgmental, always using religious language. And then they're spirit-filled born-again Christians. And, and what they do when they're at their church is just so repulsive because they, they, they chatter away in words they don't understand and roll around on the aisles. And it's kind of like <laughs> whatever that born-again thing is, I do not want anything to do with it. I would suggest to you a smear campaign has been fostered on us so that we are repulsed by the concept of being a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. Do you think that God intended that those who believe in Jesus and become spirit-filled, born-again in Christ, 
Will be part of the clowns in the religious circus? No. Let's look into what God intended for those people to be like who are genuinely born again. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Spiritually, you are in Christ. You are enveloped by Christ. Christ is in you. Um, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not the hope of weirdness. The hope of glory. Uh, Jesus is the one that I've already mentioned to you who indicated that this born-again condition was normative for Christians. In John 14, 16, he gives them, the disciples, now they're in the, that room before he is crucified. He says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to be with you forever. The world cannot accept him, but it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've rested your weight and faith upon him, his death and resurrection, at that moment you believed, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. You may have felt it, you may not have. But the promise of God's word is that you were filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of the Spirit within you? That's what we want to unlock and see what the benefit is for a person who is born again by the Holy Spirit. Because, you see, we as humans rebelled against God. We decided we could go our own way, be independent. We don't need God. And so we began to try to find our way in the world by uh, filling it, our hearts, with whatever came about. You've heard it said, perhaps, that there's a God-shaped void within us bigger than the Grand Canyon, within our hearts. It's vacant. We're alone in there. And we try to fill it with things of the world, like a, a very uh, well-paying career, richness. If you got a, a career where you were a CEO and you had all the benefits and millions of dollars and you, you got that and you put that within that God-shaped hole, it'd be like throwing a BB in a boxcar. Doesn't even come close. Approval of people, a great body, great clothes, stuff, accomplishments, it's, it, it comes nowhere near filling the God-shaped void. But when His Holy Spirit moves into us, when we're born again, it's like we've been completed. The power source is now within us. The Holy Spirit. Jesus put it this way again, John 16. I'm quoting several times here from the night before he was crucified because the disciples would soon see him leave and he wanted to give them an assurance. I tell you, it's for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
See, Jesus' disciples had been walking with him by their side for three years. You get attached. And they loved having Jesus with them. And now he's telling them he's going away. But he says it's better. If I don't go away, can't send you the Spirit to live within you. And they're thinking like, Jesus, I don't know how you can improve on having you by my side. If you had a choice of having Jesus by your side or the Holy Spirit within, what would you choose? Do you know how close Jesus is to you now if you're a believer? If you're sitting close next to someone, let me ask you, are you closer to the person sitting next to you or are you closer to your liver? Okay? Because Jesus is within you. He's there for you better than being beside you. The Holy Spirit... Jesus said in John 14, 26, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. What an advantage to have the Holy Spirit within me for that direction. And Romans 5, 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Have you ever had somebody criticize you or call you a name? And when that happens, does that hurt? And sometimes we get defensive, sometimes we get down, sometimes we get reactive. But a, a person's spoken word to us that our value is of no worth or, or that our uh, origin is dubious or whatever they may say about us, that we're worthless. Those words, unfortunately, can carry a lot of weight. What if you were to listen to the Holy Spirit within you, whom the Word says God has poured out His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit? What if whispering inside of you was, I love you so much. I mean, you're one of my favorites. You know, when I died on that cross, I was so glad to think that someday you would believe in me. I love you so much. You are so valuable. I died for you. I mean, your life is so significant. I got wonderful things for you. What if you had that speaking within your heart? Do you think that would counter sometimes those harsh words that are spoken to you? You see, it's love God, love people. But we leave out the middle. It's love God, be loved by God, love people. That's a good way to do it. Because His love is poured out into our hearts. I want you to just soak on that for a moment. I want you to envision, picture, imagine the Holy Spirit within your heart. I want you to say in your prayer, speak to me your love. Speak to me your love. It's kind of hard, isn't it? But that's what his will is for you. His presence is in there that you would know his love. And then it goes on to say Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only does he continually let you know he loves you, pour his love out, but he also pours into your heart hope and joy and peace. Are, are those commodities attracted to you in this world today? Do you need a little more of that? 
Yeah, I think we all do. In Ephesians 1.13, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The reason this message is rich in God's word is I want you to see this is authenticated and it's been doctrine, it's been sound theology for 2,000 years. Now, you may think that doctrine is a negative word like born-again Christian. It's not. Doctrine is, is, when it's true, it's living, and it's a foundation we put our, our lives upon. Uh, think about a person living in a third-world country. In that country, it's not safe. There's poverty. There's dangers. There's uh, illnesses, no protection. And then someday someone comes and says, hey, would you like to be a citizen of the United States? And shows them a copy of the Constitution and bylaws. Would you like to have these benefits and privileges of being a citizen of the United States? (laughs) Now, if you're in a third world country and somebody shows you, you're like, I believe so. How do I do that? Well, we'll put you on a plane and uh, you'll land in America. We'll put you through a process uh, of a course And then you will take an oath, and you will become a citizen of the United States. And when you do, you'll have a copy of this, and these rights and benefits and privileges are yours legally because you're a citizen of the United States. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that? Yeah, we do. Uh, We've got those documents that are just several hundred years old, but here we have documents that are 2,000 years old that people throughout the world and throughout history have placed their lives on the truth of that describes God's love for us, Jesus' death for us, his resurrection, and the Holy Spirit within us. One more, Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see, the New Testament writers, Jesus, they don't know the concept of Christian without being born again. A spirit-filled, born-again Christian is normative. And you can see that it's intended for us, for our good, that we live in the power of God's love, peace, and joy poured out within us. You wouldn't want to buy a car without an engine. So you don't want to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? If you bought a car without an engine, you'd be pushing the thing all over town. You'd get tired. If you try to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit, it will wear you out. Because you're going to try to live up to an image of being a Christian and all the demands of the Bible on your own power. And it's impossible. And pretty soon you will give up, fade away. So you want the engine in your car... You want the Holy Spirit in your heart. I want to describe to you, I'm going to use several words here to describe what God intended a born-again, spirit-filled Christian would be like. Not the uh, caricature the world has given us. This is what God's Word says. A born-again, spirit-filled Christian in Christ is a loving person. Not just loving by human ability. We all have a basic ability to love. But I'm talking about infused with God's love so that I am able to express 
his love to others, to family, to friends, associates, to enemies, that I can return love even when someone unlovable is with me. And, and, and loving doesn't just mean a gooey presence. It means that I am looking out for your best interest. In fact, if it comes down to it, and I'm choosing between my best interest and yours, God's sacrificial love inside of me, I will look out for you. How would you like to be someone like that? How would you like to live with someone like that? Or don't be elbowing somebody. How would you like to live with someone who puts your best interest in front of their own? Let's go on. A born-again, spirit-filled, in-Christ person is a joyful person. Not just when the circumstances line up. That's happiness circumstantially. But joyfully means that I have an independent source of joy where whatever circumstances I am in, I have the resource of joy within my heart. I don't have to be depressed, worried, or bummed out because of what's going on in the world. I can set, and I told this one time to a father whose grown child was not being, was being heartbreaking. And God gave me the words to say to this person, you can set within your own heart the needle on joy, regardless of what's going on with your child. Now, that's hard words. If you've been there, that's hard words. But it's true. The joy we receive from God is independent of circumstances. A born-again Christian in Christ, spirit-filled, is peaceful. In life's now, the, the born again, spirit filled Christian is peaceful not because they disregard uh, things going on. I mean, they see the world, they see COVID, the political unrest, racial unrest, the natural disasters going on, illnesses, diseases, maybe, you know, personal things. But the peace of God that surpasses understanding is within them. And because of that, they can stand in the storm and not be blown. They can stand in the storm and observe. And they can make wise and compassionate decisions about what to do next. Now, if you're not peaceful and you're in a storm and you're scared and worried and desperate, you are not going to make good decisions. I've seen it over and over. To be at peace in the storm means that I can pass some of that peace on to people who are storming around me. A peaceful, born-again, spirit-filled, in-Christ Christian is not only peaceful, they are peaceable, and they are peacemakers. Y'all write that down. They're peaceful, peaceable, and they're peacemakers. A person who is born again, spirit-filled in Christ, is a person of patience. Now, every person has a certain amount of patience, and some, by temperament, have more than others. I mean, there are some who have a lot of patience. They'll just uh, go on with anything. And there are others that, if you step on their last nerve, it's going to be bad. So, humanly, we all have a certain amount. It could be little or big. But when a person reaches the boundary... 
of their own patience, what is the next step? Impatience. Is impatient a pleasant thing? No. It's very unpleasant to be around impatient people, but they have, they have come to the end of being able to tolerate whatever it is that's going on, and now they forcefully, in anger perhaps, begin to lash out or run and hide or get away or run over in impatience. Do you see the incredible value of the gift of patience that we have within us by the Holy Spirit that you can draw upon when you need it? You know when you need patience, right? I mean, you're on 82, uh, you know, things are going, you know when you need patience, and you can literally draw on that. A person who's born again, spirit-filled, is a person who is kind and who exhibits kindness, facial expression, voice tone, behavior, and that person is gentle, sensitive to the feelings and what's going on with other people and responds with kindness and gentleness. You don't see those concepts much in the news, do you? Not many headlines with so-and-so is a kind and gentle person. If you had a choice, wouldn't you want to live with a kind and gentle person? Well, so would the people around you. And we can do that. We can be that because it is supernatural. <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, the superheroes now that are breaking in all the money in the movies. They all have a backstory. I mean, they're bitten by spiders or, or you know, something. This is how they got their superpowers. And we all know it's fiction. And, and in reality, <laughs> in reality, they don't have any superpowers. I mean, they're like a kid in a Halloween costume if they didn't have special effects. But we have a backstory that is rooted in history in the Word of God, uh, historically verified. We have documents that describe where our superpowers come from. And one of your superpowers is kindness. You pull, whip that out sometime. And you will surprise people in gentleness and patience. We're endowed. We have by right supernatural powers with which to live this life in this world. A born-again, spirit-filled, in-Christ person is a good person. Goodness. And I don't mean goody two-shoes kind of a good and I don't mean a person who is being good to work their way to God's approval. I mean a person who is living out their identity in Christ. Living out their identity because of these, uh, the love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness. A person living that way is not inclined to kill other people or steal their stuff. They're not going to be breaking the commandments because they are fully resourced by God and they don't have to try to get that stuff by harming other people or cheating other people. They have divine self-control that enables them to stand solid. The Bible describes them as faithful people who are reliable. I mean, these things that I've described to you today that you have inherently as a born-again, in-Christ, spirit-filled person are the things that make a person the kind of person you want to be around. And the good news is, 
is that no matter how you started out or what your life experiences have been, there is healing for you and there is resurrection for you in Christ because his spirit can live within you. All I've been doing is describing to you Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says against those, there's no law. You don't break the law when you're living that way. Let's just take a moment. It may be that you've been a Christian for a while, that you truly are born again. You've trusted in Jesus, but you've not accessed all these benefits that God has provided for you by his Holy Spirit. Take just a moment and say, oh, dear God, I don't want to go living as if I don't have an engine. I don't want to go living as if I don't have a power source. God, remind me of your presence within me and what you have for me when I need love or joy or patience. But it may be for you today you would say, like others I've talked with, well, I've always believed in God and gone to church. And, but you've never placed your life. Wow, look at that. You've never placed your life solidly, only in Jesus. And today you can simply say in your heart, dear God, thank you that Jesus died for me. And forgave my sin. Thank you for the Holy Spirit coming to live within me. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Those are the words that activate a born again, spirit filled in Christ life. In a moment you'll be taking communion. And you know that the cup is a symbol of his blood that was shed for you. The bread is his broken body broken for you that you could receive all the benefits we've talked about today being reconciled to God through Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit. There may be people here who need to make that decision to either trust you or allow their trust in you to resource them deeply within. So during this time of communion, Father, may our hearts speak to you in trust and faith.